0: The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I've been around long enough to see people ending their lives. And I have come to understand that the way people end their lives is the way that they live their lives. And some people die very alone, uh, and some people die with a great deal of support uh, as, they are, as, they, as they pass away. They live, they've lived in a large world. And the Christian life is like a funnel. It starts off narrow, and then it opens out. The selfish life is like a funnel as well, except it in reverse. It starts with a wide part, and it funnels you down to the point where you're in a very restricted space. You get hemmed in. And... Uh, we have a passage of scripture that we're going to read. Um, Our photos and you here. They're going to read to us about, about this. James chapter 1.
1: We're reading from the letter by James, the second chapter of that letter. Favoritism forbidden. My brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, he has a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? But if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because justice without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful mercy triumphs over judgment
2: faith and deeds what good is it my brothers if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds can such faith save him suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to him go I wish you well keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete By what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead.
0: Thank you, Fotis and Yuna, for reading that scripture to us. And in that passage, James one twenty five speaks about the perfect law that gives freedom. Strange phrase, that seems <coughs> counter to itself. A law and freedom because you think that law restricts, uh, but this perfect law enables. And so it's, uh, it opens things out. You come into, when you obey this law, you come into a large place. <clears throat> and so my topic today is, what do I do about what I believe? Faith and works. What do I do about what I believe? And uh, <clears throat> I'm using as an image uh, a baseball diamond, and uh, the game is not familiar to us as South Africans, but it serves as a good illustration. And let me explain. you sit at the, you stand at the bottom home over there, and just f- f- a little bit north of you is the pitcher standing on a pitcher's mound and he pitches the baseball at you, and you slog away at it. And if you manage to get the ball away, uh, you run like crazy to first base <clears throat> and uh, and then further on, when you have an opportunity, if you can get all the way home, uh, you, it serves as, as, as one point. So that's di- the basis of, of, uh, of baseball. And so let's take base number one. I said that base number one can be likened to salvation. And you get to base number one from, from where you start when you hit that ball, You find it by faith, because I know and I've discovered that salvation is simple. It is easy to be saved. If you want an illustration of how easy it is to be saved, think of the thief on the cross. He hung there, and he was dying, and he said to Jesus, "'Remember me when you come into your kingdom.'" And uh, the response was, i say to you this day, you will be with me in paradise.'" It was just a simple prayer that had a dramatic re- response. Remember me. Don't forget about me. Uh, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What did he do? What did the thief on the cross do? Nothing. What did he make right? Nothing. How did he demonstrate his sincerity? He had no opportunity to do that. Uh, did he get baptized? No. Did he join a church? No. Did he start reading his Bible? No. Did he start tithing? No. Uh, but a miracle took place. His destination was changed. His nature was changed. His chains, his spiritual chains fell off. He gained a new nature as he hung there. Just that, remember me, gave him a new nature. Oh, what do you mean by a new nature? When you're born again, you get a new nature. Do you use that does that mean that you never sin again? That you you are a new person, but in some ways you're not. You look the same and you sound the same, but something has changed inside. Your nature has changed. And the best way of illustrating it, if you'll excuse, uh, or no, don't apply the the illustration to personally uh, to you, it's it's like a pig's got a nature and a sheep's got a nature. And so, a, a pig. Can fall into mud, and a sheep can fall into mud. The difference between a sheep and a pig is that the pig really enjoys it, the sheep hates it and bleats to get out. That's the nature of the animal. The circumstances. You might find yourself in negative circumstances. However, your nature shows uh, how you how you respond, and so you get a new nature. You become a new creation. You are born again. You're saved. You're justified. These are all wonderful Bible words which we can't speak about now. You're sanctified. You're redeemed. You're adopted. All of these words that happens when you get saved. It's a wonderful and dramatic and far-reaching miracle that takes place in your life. You've reached base number one. Now you need to move on to base number two. Base number two would be knowledge. And understanding so it's faith that takes you to number one, knowledge will take you to number two. Because to get to number two, you need to start exposing yourself to some teaching. As newborn babies, it says in one Peter two two crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So you start to grow spiritually because you feed yourself, you start to understand the truths of, of the Bible. You start to lay foundations in your life. You learn how to pray. Um, You understand what you have believed. You become spiritually strong. You become sanctified, set apart. Uh, You become established. Foundations are laid. And so you find yourself on base number two. Base number one, you get there because you believed. Number two, base number two, you get there because of what you know. But there is more, and many Many people, many, many people get stranded on base number two. My emphasis of this morning is to get us running to base number three. What is base number three? You know everything. The question is, what are you going to do about what you know? What are you going to do about the things that you already believe? Base number three, the, the journey there is a journey to significance what am i going to do about what i believe and so jesus had some exposure to the disciples they had meals together They spoke to them but the time came when jesus popped the question to them he went down to the lake of galilee and he found peter james and john and he said to me he said to them leave your nets and come and follow me and they immediately got up left their fishing equipment their boats and their business and they started to follow him so leave your nets let me say at this point that nobody follows Jesus there's nobody in this room who's going to follow Jesus without paying a price there's a price for every single one of us that we've got to pay you're going to have to give something up to follow Jesus that's the way that it is that's the deal you've got to give up something to follow Jesus you pay some sort of price how did I get into the ministry people sometimes ask me I grew up as a, as a child of a minister. My father was a minister. I grew up without any romantic ideas about church. I'd seen the good side of church, and I'd seen the ugly side of church as well, the difficult side of church, the painful side of church. And I loved Jesus, and, and I was faithful in church. But the last thing on my mind was to be a minister. I wanted to make money. Uh, and I knew how I was going to make money as well. And I, I, had, I had made my plans. I got an education. I went to university, and got an education. But it was, a, but it was going in a certain direction, and my my life direction changed. God spoke to me, and I started to feel at the age of 19 a, a call into the ministry. I studied. I became a school teacher, and I was teaching, and uh, I was in a crazy situation. In those days, you could get a bursary, and they would pay for your university studies. My parents couldn't afford to send me to university. But you could get a state bursary to go to the university, but then you had to work it off by by working. So if you studied for four years, you worked for four years, and then your debt was paid off that way. And I had moved to Johannesburg. I'd been gone up there for the army, and and I'd got involved in a church Then I stayed. And, and I felt that Joburg was now my home. And so I was, got a job and I was teaching at a school called Parktown Boys High, which is in the news for all the wrong reasons um, at the moment. But it's a good school. It was a good school. And I think it probably still is a good school. Um, and I was, I was teaching there. And, but they wouldn't accept my years of service at Parktown Boys High as working off towards my paying off my bursary because I had a bursary from the Western Cape government. And I was working for the Transvaal government as it was. But they wouldn't give me, and they wouldn't transfer it because I never had a permanent post. But they wouldn't give me a permanent post because I had a bursary from somewhere else. And so I was in a catch-22 situation, a crazy situation. And one day, I met a man who got into conversation with him. And uh, he asked me questions about my life, sort of probing questions. And then I got a phone call. I was married to the stage, living on the school grounds, living in a cottage at Parktown Boys High, and and our life was organized, and we were on our way. (coughs) I got this phone call from a company called Van Leer, Van Leer Packaging. It was an industrial packaging company based in Springs. And they said, we'd like you to come for an interview. So I went for an interview, (coughs) and they offered me a position I wasn't searching for it, but they offered me a position uh, to join their HR department. They said they'd send me back to university, <coughs> and they would let me study for a further year. They'd send me to Holland so I could get to know the mother company well, get to know how the company worked. And I could become a part of their – it was an international company – become a part of their HR department. They asked me what I was earning. They laughed when they heard what I was earning, they said, your annual rise will be greater than your monthly salary. Um, and they did a, presented a very appealing offer. I went home and I said to Wendy, you know what? This job is so tempting. I would love this opportunity overseas living and, and what an adventure for a young couple like Wendy and myself. No responsibilities no kids, great opportunity. But I said, I feel called into the ministry. And that door hasn't opened for me. But should it open and I go, and this company has invested in me, I'll be, they investing in me because they want me for long term, not for short term. I'd be pulling the wool over their eyes. And so I delayed and delayed. And a week later, they phoned me and said, listen, do you want this job or not? and i said no i'm going to turn it down i'm so glad that i had something to turn down before i went into the ministry other than school teaching i'm so glad that i had i was able to give something up so i'm not a minister because i can't think of anything better to do when i was a kid when i was a little kid of three years old or four years old one of our heroes Nicholas I was sitting on his lap. He said, well, Jeffrey, are you going to be a preacher when you get raped like your dad? I thought long and hard. and Then I said, well, if I can't get a job. Um, and uh, that, was, that, that was probably at that stage what I thought about it. <clears throat> but I'm so glad that I had something to give up. And I made a decision. But you're going to have to make a decision if you're going to follow Jesus. There's something you're going to have to give up. don't know if you've ever thought about that, but base number three is giving up something. Moving to significance, leave your nets. It was a big step for them. That was their business. Peter, James, and John, family business and partners in the business as well. There was a time when uh, Peter came to Jesus. You read about it in, in Mark chapter 10. And, Jesus, and Peter said to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus responded by saying, Nobody who's ever given up anything for me will not get a hundred times more than what they gave up. If they gave up family, they'll gain family. If they gave up money, they'll give. If they gave up houses, whatever it was that they gave up, they'll give a hundred times more. And so it is that we are called to to a life of sacrifice. Each one of us, sow your seed. We're called to sow seed. But the tempting thing about seed is to eat it. You can eat your seed or you can sow your seed. You take your seed and you put it in the ground. You cover it over. And you don't know what's going to come up. You don't know whether there's going to be bugs that are going to eat it. Locusts are going to come. Whether there's going to be a terrible drought. And whether that seed is going to be wasted. And that could be supper. But in order to have a harvest, you've got to sow something. So it involves risk. No guarantee of a harvest. You give it away in the belief that in the long run you will benefit, and that's the way things work. Tithes and offerings. Well done, TPC. Last month we gave uh, a substantial amount. 60 something thousand rand was a special offering that we took up for Matt and Savannah Mackey for the work that they're doing in Western Zambia. I was so proud of the church. But that takes something out of the life of the church when such a large amount was given. Then last month, this, this, this month, uh, or just end of, end of February, when when Hans's mom died and, and they had to fly at short notice and I made an appeal to the church to help pay for the for air ticket and this church at short notice without a big song and dance an offering of 26,000 rand somewhere, small numbers after that, Uh, Was given. I say to this church, well done. That seed, that seed will bring about a harvest, not only in their life, not only fruit in their life, but in the church's life and in the life of the world as well. So that's not money that's wasted. That's money that you won't see again, but you will see it again, maybe in a different form, but there will come a reward, tithes and offerings. So I say, well done, TPC, for sowing seed into the Antonios. And so I'm saying to this, this couple here, that we believe you are a good, uh, you are good soil. We believe in you, and we will see a harvest in time to come. Remember this, with sowing and reaping, that not all crops are cash crops. Um, you put your seed in the ground uh, in springtime in September. You don't always harvest in February uh, the next year. Uh, sometimes, if you can put in vineyards. I don't know how many years you wait before you have a grape harvest and can make wine uh, or if it's fruit trees I don't know how many years before you get apples or stone fruit uh, from your uh, fr- from your from your orchard but harvesting and re- reaping sometimes takes time you need to take a risk so what am I talking about I'm talking about taking a risk with your money you see when When Peter came and said, we've given up everything to follow you, there was a context. The context was, and you can read about it in Mark chapter 10, that Jesus had said to a rich young man, give everything that you have away, leave second base, and run like crazy for third base, and see what will happen, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't leave second base, because he couldn't see third base, and so he Walked away sad because he had a lot of wealth. And then Peter came and said, we've given away everything that we've got for you. And Peter gave that, that response. In Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus gives us a story about talents. There are two parables that are told about talents. One talks about talents, which is an amount of money. And the one talks about minas, M-I-N-A-S, however you say that word, minas or minas. Uh That also is an amount of, of money. And the Luke parable in Luke chapter 19 is about minors. And it's and it's a miner was worth uh, a, a month's wages. And so gave away three months wages. So say a month's wages is 8,000 rand. Uh, so 25,000 rand. That's the type we talk, we're talking about. That's he gave each of his, of his servants 25,000 rand to work with. And then when he came back, uh, One had given a thousand times, and one had given a five hundred percent increase. And then he said to them, "Take charge of ten cities, and take charge of five cities." You can read that parable in your in your own time. Sometimes when we give, we get rewards in different areas of life. There are many rewards. There are many rewards in life. You may give money, and you might get rewarded in another way. I am so rewarded. I'm rewarded. I'm rewarded. Here's a reward that I've got. I'm rewarded with friends. I've got the most fantastic friends that I can really speak to about things. I had something that was really burdening me. It was, it was something that made me cry. When I was by myself, I cried. When I was driving in my motor car, I cried. It was heavy on my heart. But it just so happened that that same week, my friend... Ron Bernard phoned me out of the blue from the United States. And we talked about a whole lot of stuff. And I was pretending that everything was okay. Until such time, I'm talking about three weeks ago. Until such time as I thought, no, he's a friend. Let me tell him. It was something deeply personal. So I didn't want to tell everybody or anybody necessarily about it. And I told him what, was, what it was. His response was, I've got no advice to give you. I've got nothing to say. Just to say that I feel for you and I'm praying with you quietly. And uh, he prayed for me. You know what, how much strength that gives you? I'm rich in friends. I'm rich in children. I've got three. They keep you poor. I don't know if you know that about children but they give you such reward to have kids that love the Lord and to have kids that are close by and to be able to share a meal with kids. Do you know what, how, what that makes a, a man feel? And I've got grandkids. Little joys. I can show you bruises on my body from those little rats. I, I, to have grandkids, what a joy and what, I'm rich. Plus, I've got you. And I've just been on two weeks leave, two and a half weeks leave. And I, no word of a lie, I've looked forward to being here with you today. To see your faces and to be here. And, and Hans will tell you. While I'm on holiday, how was the service? How did it go? And he tells me all the good news. He could probably hide some of the stuff from me. But he tells me the good news. And, 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 we, have a, and we have a good chat. But you have colleagues that, are, that, you, that you carry the burden with? Man, you must be jealous of me because I am rich. I don't have cash, but I am rich. Because God blesses in more than one way. Take a risk. Take a risk with your money. Invest your money in enterprises. Money's not to be buried. Money's to be used and made. The parable of the talents comes after the rich young ruler. The parable of the miners comes after the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had a dramatic, he was the short guy. He was the guy that if you're making a movie of that, you'd use Danny DeVito. Um, as an actor. He looks like Danny DeVito, Zacchaeus. He climbs a tree to see Jesus coming past. And, And he has a conversion experience. His nature is changed. And this crooked man, and he knows that he's crooked, after Jesus has been to his house, he says, I'm going to give a half of my money, one shot, I'm giving it to the poor. And if I've crooked anybody, I'll give them four times back what I took off them. That's quite a conversion experience. But when you get saved, your wallet gets saved. Something happens. You are changed. And, and, and how, do you, how do you take risk? Risk always involves, unless you're bungee jumping, risk always involves money. It's a, you say, why are you talking about money? Hey, we all talk about money all the time. All of us, let's be real. Let's be, give me a break here. Give me a massive break. You all talk about the price of milk and the price of bread and the price of electricity and the price of your rates and taxes and the price of water and how the city's trying to choke you with the water by and by keeping those high tariffs without reducing the tariffs now that the crisis is over. You talk about money all the time because money is foundational to our lives and it's an expression of our worth and so to get off base number two to base number three you've got to give up something and it probably involves money it involves a risk and you run for the base number three and there you discover significance you discover a world of fruitfulness you see there's a new way of seeing things I can take a prism and I can take a beam of light just white light and I shine it into the prism. And out of the other side comes a rainbow. Red. I I did physics at school. And one of the few things that I understood was wave theory. It got me through my trick, did wave theory. And I understand about the the different wavelengths and how they bend at different rates, and how when it gets goes through a prism, how they get bent. And, yeah, how the light separates out and it's red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, ray, G, biv. That's how you remember it. Um, and so I I'm aware of those things. You don't know what's trapped in your life. You're like white light. But there's beauty trapped in your life. If you will just shine it through a different way of seeing things and it separates out, suddenly you say, wow, something wonderful has happened in my life. Who would imagine all that beauty trapped in a beam of white light? Instead of seeing all that I could lose, I see all that I could gain. A hundredfold with a seed. Take charge of ten cities. And the potential locked into your life gets released as you run like crazy for base number three. You hang on to your life. Stay on to base number two. Learn more, learn more, learn more. You go deeper, you go deeper, you go deeper. You understand all mysteries and you're on base number two. The fun is on the run between number two and number three. Hang on to your life and you lose it, Jesus said. Lose your life and you gain it, he promised. It's a way of seeing. It's that funnel. And so, Matt Mackey, who we got to know better a few weeks ago when he spent a few weeks when, they, when Savannah had the little baby and they were here with us for four or five weeks, he graduates from UCT. He's got his business degree. He's well-connected. He's a bishop's boy. I mean, he's got so many connections there. He's uh, he's got got his connections. He's got his networks. He's got firm offers on the table. And he chooses to lose his life in a little dusty corner of western Zambia called Mongu. And it is a dump. Let me tell you something. Let me give you an assurance. It's not a tourist destination. It's a dump. It's a dump. It's sandy. The sand is hot. It's it probably, the temperature probably averages out at about 40 degrees across the year. It's scorching hot. And a lot of the time, they don't have electricity. And when they don't have electricity, they don't have water either. For me, three, year, three days in Mongu is long enough. And I'm, I'm wanting to get to get out of there. So he goes and he sacrifices his life. When you could have a great life in front of him, what does he discover? He finds a beautiful wife from the United States of America in Mongu. He travels the world, England, Australia, United States. He goes in a few weeks' time off to the United States again. He finds huge significance. Plus, his investment in Heaven's Bank is growing very nicely. Thank you. You see, we're investing offshore. Of planet, in fact. Some of you will know who Jimmy Elliot is. We can put up that image. Jimmy Elliot. Jimmy Elliot, the one on the right. Through Gates of Splendor is a book you can read his story, and there's a movie that was made about Jimmy Elliot as well. His story is that he and his friends went in their little Cessna airplane and they flew to Amazon, the Amazon jungle to go and minister to people that had been completely unreached uh, with the gospel. And they were massacred. They were uh, martyred. The four of them were killed. Uh, they young men, with, uh, with, all with young families, and their widows then said, we will go in their place. And so they went, and where their husbands were massacred, the wives were received. And the gospel went in there, and there is a church there. And I have a friend called Ted Carr. Some of you might know the name Ted Carr. He's well-known in youthful Christ circles. Ted Carr was present at a baptismal service where the son of Jimmy Elliott Baptized the son of the man who'd killed his father. Um, a A dramatic story, that as well. But Jimmy Elliott said these famous words, it is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And he gained something that he cannot lose. He lost his life. He couldn't keep his life anyway. He lost his life. But he gained eternal life, and he gained a, a, a place in the, in, amongst the heroes of faith. So, what are you going to do to get off base number two? Some of you may may be on base number one. You haven't hit out yet. You don't know your sins are forgiven. You don't know that Jesus cares and loves loves you. You don't know that your name is written in heaven's register. You don't. You just feel. You've got no contact with God, but you'd love to. Well, to do that, you just need to hit out in faith. And just like that thief on the cross said, remember me, you need to say, Jesus, don't forget about me either. That's all you need to say. Jesus, don't forget about me. Come into my life. Wash away my sins. That'll get you to base number one. And some of you need to go from base number one to base number two. You need to... Speak to Hans about the you version, which you can get, which will help you through Bible day, daily Bible reading and Bible study, and your church attendance. And, and Laura can help you get connected into a connect group and such good things. But I think that many of us are stranded on base number two, and we need to hit out for number three. We need to say, Jesus, I'm going to run like crazy for number three. You know where it starts. It doesn't start with saying, I'm going to go to South America to be martyred by an Indian. No, it doesn't start with something big. It starts with something small. I'm going to be faithful with my finances. Because Jesus said these words. There's a series I could do. Dodgy things that Jesus said. Jesus said some very dodgy things. One of the dodgy things that Jesus said was, not faithful with your money, you won't be faithful with, with anything else either. And if you're not faithful with your money, God won't trust you with anything else either. It's so a starting point. Jesus said it. am so glad Jesus said it. Not me. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. Don't shout at me. Shout at Jesus. But the thing is that it's a foundational thing in our lives. Don't say, don't say to me, oh, you're talking about money all the time. No, it's a foundational thing. It's a life issue. I'm speaking about money is the tester. Money is the tester and you find true riches. Well, what about fourth base, you say? How long are we going to be here this morning? You haven't mentioned fourth base yet. Well, I think that fourth base is rewards. Jesus says he's going to come and fetch us. He's going to come and fetch us. His rewards will be with us, with him. And that's going to be when Jesus comes again, the second coming. And that's unless I pass away before then. I will then be at home base. But I want you to just pray. And uh, if you want to hit out for first base, just bow our heads. If you want to hit out for first base, and you want to say, Jesus, don't forget about me. I need you to take that step of faith. Just put up your hand. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray together. We'll just pray together. And uh, uh, as a congregation, we'll all pray all pray, but it'll just be...